Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. On today's episode, we have another theology conference session from Reverend Thomas Dibble. This one is an after-hours session where students, Brother Kilman and Brother Dibble, all sit down and have a roundtable question-and-answer forum about prayer, and we are excited to bring that to you on the podcast this week, but we're also excited to let you know that if you are interested in on-campus learning, our admission cycle is currently open. For more information and to apply for on-campus learning, visit www.indianabiblecollege.org forward slash apply. Right now, enjoy Reverend Thomas Dibble, a session on prayer. take my jacket off, I roll my sleeves up, and just get ready to dig in. So let's get ready to dig into the Word of the Lord this evening. Um, so I came, uh, truth be told, I came because on the schedule it said there would be donuts tonight. <laughs> Brother Kilman didn't tell me exactly what this session was like. Um, I was trying to get it out of him, you know, but he, he just was kind of non-committee said you know you can come if you want if you don't want to do the evening session that's fine but then when I saw donuts there I said I'm in <clears throat> sign me up I love donuts so um, I really didn't prepare anything specific I just wanted to talk to you and the more I thought about it um, the more this one subject came to mind I'd like to talk to you about prayer um, I was going to, I was thinking about talking about sermon preparation and kind of um, what you go through, what your process is for sermon preparation, but I realize not everyone are preachers, I don't think. Um, so uh, I thought uh, probably everyone prays here, hopefully. So I thought this would be a good landing spot or a good starting spot, launching spot for us this evening. So um, Hosea chapter 13 and verse number 4. And, I, and this can be kind of group participation. You can, you can help me out. Um, I, hope, uh, I hope I learned something from, from you all this evening. I, I am a lifelong learner. I always want to be learning. Um, I think there is so much I can learn from, from you guys, from the, the younger generation that I, maybe I don't uh, I have some blind spots when it comes to that, perhaps. Um, and so I, I always want to be learning. I always want to have an open mind and, and be ready to receive uh, something no matter what age they are. So Hosea chapter 13 and verse number 4. This may <clears throat> seem like a, a, a weird starting point for a subject of prayer. Um, but Hosea 13 and 4 says, Yet... I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Now, what does this verse tell us about needing to know God? Anyone? What, what does it say about needing to know God? Read it again. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. What, what does it tell us about needing to know God? We have to. We're commanded to know God. It's important that we know God. If they, they say, uh, if you work at a bank, how do they teach you to, to detect counterfeit money from real money? Handle the real thing. Keep handling the real deal. How do you avoid getting swept away by every wind of doctrine that's blowing, every wind of false doctrine that's blowing in this age today? By getting to know the real deal, by getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can not be deceived. And then I love it says, for there is no Savior besides me. Now, what does this verse tell us about 
God. What does it tell us about God? It, it says we need to know God, and you need to know that there's no other God beside me, and there's no other Savior beside me. We, we've got to know him for who he really is, not just what tradition has taught us. We must know him. Colossians chapter 2, and if you miss a verse, I can, I just uh, basically copied and pasted these, these uh, passages of scripture. Um, I can send these notes to whoever wants them. I give you my email address and you can ask me for them and I'll, I'll send you these scriptures so you have them. Um, Colossians chapter 2 Beginning with verse number 8, it says, what's the first word? Does anybody have it? Beware. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. How many know in the church we have a lot of traditions? We don't really know why we do things the way we do them. We just know we've always done them that way. This is how we've always done it. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So, Right away, I want to propose to you that maybe the current definition of prayer that you've been operating from as me talking to God may be just a tradition of men. Now, I want to be real careful to say I'm not here to tell you <clears throat> or to change your mind about anything you know about prayer. Key word emphasis there being what you know. How many know it's possible to believe a lie? Is it possible to know a lie? No. So I'm not here to tell you anything different about what you know about prayer. Now I can, I can believe with all my heart that two plus two equals five. I can believe it with every fiber of my being. How many have ever argued with somebody, you knew you were right. I know the New York Yankees won the ball game last night. It was, they won four to one. That's not really what the score was. It was seven to nothing, by the way. But it, it was four to one. I know it. Well, let's go to the paper. Let's find. And somebody's arguing with, no, it was three to two. And you go to the paper, oh. And you argued so adamantly. I know I'm right. Has that ever happened to anybody? You, I know I'm right. And then when you, oh boy, two plus two does not equal five, it actually equals four, six. Uh, so it's, it's possible. To believe a lie, but you cannot know a lie. So I want to propose to you a biblical definition of prayer. And again, if you don't get all this, I can give it to whoever wants it. Prayer is maintaining a right standing before the Lord. Prayer is maintaining a right standing before the Lord, <clears throat> which results in a free-flowing and mutual communication. Did it ever occur to you that in prayer, maybe you're not supposed to be the one to do all the talking? Maybe the Almighty has a few choice words for you. Maybe the Almighty can give you the answer to the problem you have. <clears throat> Prayer is maintaining a right standing before the Lord, which results in a free-flowing and mutual communication and facilitates 
the effective working of God through your daily living. Now that's, that's a mouthful, I understand, um, and I hope to kind of unpack this a little bit. Prayer is maintaining a right standing before the Lord, which results in a free-flowing and mutual communication and facilitates the effective working of God through your daily living. So <clears throat> when should I pray? Well, the scripture says pray without ceasing. Right? So if prayer is merely me telling God what I want him to know, all of us are violating the scripture right now. When I was eating that donut a moment ago, I was violating the scripture. When I went outside to play a game of basketball, I was violating the scripture. When I went to bed at night and slept, I was violating the scripture. So how in the world can I pray without ceasing? How about, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Or men ought always to pray. Well, that's not really what that means. And we explain it away. We say, this is what it's really talking about. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. If prayer is only me telling God what I need him to know, what I want him to know, we violate these scriptures every single day. But if prayer is me maintaining my right standing before the Lord, first and foremost, I can do that. I can be in right standing with God when I lay my head down on the pillow at night. When I play a basketball game, that means I have to keep a good attitude, which was difficult for me because I was a provoker on the basketball court. I was just trying to get people going and off their game. But, but uh, when, when I'm eating the donut, when, when I do all those other things that we have to do in life, I can maintain a right standing before the Lord at all times. What, what is my motive for praying? Well, to get God to do what I want him to do. What good is a God that I serve if he won't do what I tell him to do? Why should I serve him if he won't be at my beck and call? So what's, what's your motive for praying? What, let me ask you another question. What do my prayers imply about my God? Do we serve a God that you have to beg and plead to do good things for us? Do we serve a God that we, we have to, well, you know, if we're starting this prayer chain, if we don't get 100 people in the prayer chain, God's not going to hear us. The miracle won't happen. What we want to get done is not going to happen. Can I tell you, God hears one individual. So God's working on Travis to pray for me. What if he doesn't pray for me? What if he gets tired, falls asleep? God's not going to heal me now. Might as well throw the towel and it's all over. Travis didn't pray. Do we serve a God that, that is dependent on, and God's up there, oh, I really hope Travis prays because I want to do this thing over, but I can't do it unless he, unless he tells me what to do. I can't do this thing over here. Now, I, I'm, I realize I'm being a little facetious. I'm being a little funny, but I'm trying to provoke you to think a little bit about what your prayer actually means, what they imply about your God. So can I ask, uh, what would other people who hear my praying, who don't know my God, think about my God? Well, he, he has to beg people, or people have to beg him for him to save people. God, save my brother, save my father, save my mother, save this one or that one. Doesn't the scripture say it's not God's will that any would perish? He's already doing everything he can do. 
to save that individual. Sometimes it comes down to that individual doesn't want to be saved. And he won't violate your human will. A better way of praying is, God, what can I do to see that individual saved? What can, but we don't want to pray that because we don't want to do that. We'd rather God be responsible for doing that. So, something I do in, in the morning when I get up, <clears throat> uh, often, oftentimes, many days, is uh, I, I try to apply what I know about God to my prayer. So, the first thing that I consider, number one, He's God. Psalm 46 and verse number 10 be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. So, number one, he's God, which means what? I'm not God. I'm not the Almighty. And so I spend some time thanking the Lord. God, I just thank you because I know you're God and I'm not. If I was God, I'd mess things up. I mess my life up a bunch of times. If I were the one in charge, I'd mess things up all over the place. But God, I'm not God. You're God. And so I thank you that I know you're God. Be still and know that I'm God. Number two... He is all-powerful, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Job 42 and 2 says, I know thou, that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Job confessed it. I know you can do everything. How about the scripture, with God, all things are possible. How about the scripture that says, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. He's all powerful. That means he has all the power there is to have. If anybody else has any power, it's because God gave it to them. He's all powerful. He's sovereign. He reigns supreme. So, could God, my, my dad passed away a couple of, about a year, two Christmases ago, however long that is, um, over a year now. Could God have healed my dad? He was a, he was a good guy, lived for the Lord from the time he came to know the Lord all of his life. Um, Faithful. I remember he, he lived on our church property. He was the pastor before me, lived on our church property in a house, and it's just a, you know, 50 yards or so away from the church. And it was men's prayer night. And I looked out the front door and I saw my dad almost bent over in half, holding on to the wall, walking and making his way over to the church. I went running out. Dad, what are you doing? You know, you're sick. I, he, had, he had cancer all throughout his body. And uh, I, I said, Dad, what's go you know, why don't you stay home? He said, it's prayer time. Dad, you, you, you've paid your dues. You, you've been faithful all of your life. Why don't you just, it's, it's only men's prayer meeting. Son, just help me get to the church. I know if I get to the church, God's going to touch me, and I just want to get to the church. And so he was a stubborn guy. I helped him to the church. Now, I know God could have healed my dad. There are situations all of you can probably point to in your life, and, and you can say, if he was all-powerful, why didn't he do this thing? Why didn't he keep me from this thing? Why did I have to go through this situation? He's all powerful. He can do anything. With God, nothing is impossible. So why? We have to consider 
that if he's all powerful and he doesn't do something I want him to do, I'm just going to throw this out there for your consideration. I'm trying not to burst any bubbles, but just throw it out for your consideration. Maybe he knows best. Just a thought. Maybe it goes back to number one, he's God and I'm not. If he's all powerful and he's not doing something that I'm demanding that he do, maybe I should evaluate my heart and my motive. Why am I demanding that he do this? Uh, number three, he is unchanging. Every single one of us should throw our hands in the air and thank him that he's unchanging. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, because of the fact that I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. If I changed, I would have wiped you out because you're a heathen bunch. If I changed, I would have gotten rid of you and started over with another group of people. If I changed, maybe I would have done. So can I tell you, you cannot change God's mind. Well, what about the prayer of Abraham where he prayed, if there's 50 righteous, will you save the city? Who initiated the conversation to start with? Almighty God. Why? Because Abraham was maintaining a right standing before the Lord, which resulted in a free-flowing and mutual communication. Do you know God will actually tell you what's going to happen? Do you know God will actually clue you in and let you know ahead of time some things that are going to take place? That's what a free-flowing and mutual communication means that facilitates the effective working of God through your daily living. So Abraham's praying. He gets all the way down to 10. There's not 10 righteous there. Now, I've heard people preach all my life that Abraham changed God's mind. You know, God was going to wipe everybody out. Abraham changed God's mind. No, Abraham didn't change God's mind. God was giving Abraham an opportunity to be involved in what he was doing. And so he initiates the conversation with Abraham. And if you read the whole passage in context, he says, Shall not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? If there's righteous people down there, I'm going to save them no matter what you do, Abraham. It always was my intention to save them. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today. And forever. So you can't change God's mind. Now, sometimes we try to change God's mind, don't we? In prayer, we try to change God's mind. How many know the, the scripture in uh, Psalm 106 and verse number 15? And he gave them their request, right? They pestered him so much that he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. You have a question? Uh, yeah. Would you say that, that that this would be the cause behind, like sometimes some people have like a, a healing service and no one will get healed, but then sometimes some people will just go up and feel led to lay hands on someone and they get healed. That would be not necessarily that they had the right amount of like faith. So right if God directs you to have a healing service, have a healing service. If God's telling you to have healing service, go ahead and have a healing service because God's going to do something great there. But don't presume, don't be presumptuous on your own and say, oh, I think we need to have a healing service. What about if we had a seeking God service? And say, we're just going to gather together and seek God and see what he'll do. We're not seeking the gifts. We're not seeking the little trinkets that he passes out, the healings, the miracles, all that other stuff. Because can I tell you, if you get God, you get all 
of him, you get the whole package. You get the miracles. You get healing. You get signs and wonders. You get everything. So I say, don't chase after miracles. Don't chase after the signs and wonders. Don't chase after, hey, this guy walks in the spirit and he does stuff, man. He calls people out and he reads their... No, chase after God. And if you get God, you get all the other stuff with it. Number four... He is all-knowing. This is a big one when it comes to prayer. Now, I'm just telling you some stuff that we know about God. And we need to apply what we know about God to our prayer. So, He's all-knowing. Psalm 147 and verse number 5 says, Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 8, Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. He's all-knowing. He knows everything there is to know. He knows everything that can't be known. He knows it all. So why do we spend 90% of our prayer time telling God what our need is? Why do we spend 90% of our prayer time making sure he knows? I, I'm not sure if you know this, Almighty God, but this is a real serious situation here. I'm not sure if you got the news. It's taken a turn for the worse. I don't know if they've kept you up to date or you've been reading all the reports that came in, but God, it's really bad now, and I just want to make sure you know about it. Well, he knew about it before you knew about it. So why don't we go to God and instead say, God, what do I need? Well, who wants to do that? I already know what I need. I'm trying to get him to do it. But isn't it a better way to pray, God, what do you say that I need today? That's what I want. God, where do, what do you want to do today? That's where I want to be involved. God, what are you up to today? That's where I want to be, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. Matthew 6 and 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek Put some effort into it. Look at it. I'll get you in just one second. Seek ye first. Well, I want them to know about my stuff first. I want them to know about all my needs first. No, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What are all those things? Clothes, food, shelter, health. He said the Gentiles ask for all those things. The heathens ask for all those things. They're concerned about all those things. You don't do that. You don't behave like that. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about shelter. Don't worry about health. Don't worry about all this other stuff that the Gentiles seek after. You seek my kingdom first and I will always take care of you. Yes. So when it talks about uh, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and know the petitions that we desire of him, is that actually talking then about um, asking him what his will is for like the kingdom? Yeah. Not like asking him for our desires. Asking according to his will, not according to our will. That's right. I, I just. The, the most perfect illustration is when I'm in control of my life, I mess it up. 
can, can you all agree with that statement? Amen. Whenever I've been in control, whenever I've been doing my own thing and going my own way, I mess it up completely. But whenever I let him be in control, whenever I submit myself to his will and his plan, things go a lot smoother. Now, I still go through stuff, but he's with me. So, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added unto you. He is all knowing. So don't, I, now I realize, I realize that I'm taking away 80 to 90% of what we normally pray about. And when you kneel to pray or stand to pray, the next time you go to prayer, you might say, what am I going to say? What am I going to talk to God about? You might have to actually open your ears and say, God, what do you want to speak to me today? That's right. And be silent in the presence of the Lord. Don't do the, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Yes, yes, yes. All the Pentecostal cliches, I still find myself doing it. They, they say that misery loves company. That's why I'm sharing this with you tonight. Actually, I like the phrase better, misery demands company. I don't want to be the only one uncomfortable in the prayer room, and so I want to share it with all of you. Isn't that nice? He's all-knowing. Number five, he is love. This is... This idea right here that God loves me is one of the biggest, most difficult things we struggle with. Because we look back over our life. We look back at our failures. You know you better than anyone in this room. You know your weaknesses. You know your shortcomings. You know when you didn't quite measure up to the standard. And, and the enemy tries to infiltrate right here in this area he really doesn't love you. You've heard about the everlasting love. No, no, that's not for you. That's, that's for Brother Kilman. He's got it all together. You didn't see him when he was away from God, though. That's, right. that's for this other guy. He was raised in the church. You know, he's been doing this all his life. He's got it down. No, you didn't see him in his private times when he was messing up, when his thought life wasn't what it should have been. Yes, yes. And the devil comes and tries to trick us and get us to believe, you know, the everlasting, the, the uh, uh, what's the unconditional love of God. No, that's, that's not for you. That's for the other person. That's not for you. And, and uh, I think this is, this is uh, if we can get this down, if we can, uh, 1 John 4 and 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. That was before you even knew God. That, that was before you had it all together. When you are away from, when you are living in the world, when you are living apart from God, He loved you. Luke 12 and 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure. You don't have to beg for it. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What a God we serve. That's right. Psalm 84 and 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing. Everybody say, no good thing. No good thing. Will he withhold from them that walk uprightly? So if God isn't doing something for you that you've been begging him to do, maybe you should consider it's not a good thing for my life. And he knows better than I know. And so I submit myself to his plan and his will and I trust him. Yeah, that's right. Man, I always wanted a fast car. I remember praying about it, talking to God about it. I was 16 years old, just got my license, and I was, I was standing in the mirror just looking at God, trying to figure out, you know, not looking at God, but talking to God and looking at myself. And, and I, you know, 
And I, I had this conversation with, you know, I want a fast car. I want a really nice car. I want a Trans Am. I want a Camaro. I want a Mustang. Some, a muscle car. God, that's what I really want. And I remember speaking back to myself. I know you're not going to do it, God. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> I got a 1955 Fiat for 100 bucks. I had to push it to get it started every day. <laughs> Pop the clutch. He knew it wasn't good for me. Why would he give? There, there's only, I think, are there any other parents in the room besides myself and Brother Kilman? As, <laughs> so I went to Bible school I probably shouldn't share this. I started already, though. I went to Bible school. My freshman year, it was not permitted to date. Um, you, had to, you had to go on a double date or something. I wasn't concerned. I was too busy playing basketball that year. And um, so I went to Bible school with this dude who got married his freshman year. And he came back, and he lived in the dorm. He got married to a local girl from the local church. <laughs> and he came back. They did it secretly. And he came back and lived in the dorm. What kind of craziness is that? Anyway, I don't know why I shared that story. But as a, as a father, as a parent, you don't give your kids bad stuff. Well, here, play with this snake. <laughs> A scorpion? Yeah, go ahead. They're, yeah, that's harmless. Go ahead and play with it. But you give good stuff to your children. You get pleasure out of doing good things for your children. You don't get pleasure out of seeing them causing them pain. That's right. So think about what a great father he is. He knows what you have need of. And it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he won't withhold any good thing from you. So don't beg him for stuff. He knows, he knows, he knows. Number six, he's omnipresent. I could, now I taught for over a year on this subject of prayer in my home church every Wednesday. So I could spend some time here. I will not do that. Um, we're, we're about ready to wrap up. So just hang on a little bit. Number six, he's omnipresent. He's omnipresent. Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He's omnipresent. I, I told you I, I pray through these things every morning. And, um, I, you know, I, I just thank, thank the Lord. Lord, you were here before I got here. Now, my, I wake up at between 3.30 and 4 o'clock every morning. And I used to go right to the gym and, and have a good workout. My workout buddy has left me. He's gone. And so um, I've, I've been going to the church first. And, and I just, just walk around the sanctuary. I love to be in the sanctuary. There's something about, you can pray anywhere, but there's something about being in the sanctuary. Maybe it's just a preacher. I just love walking in the sanctuary. Sometimes I go in and, I, and I, I, it's almost like I feel the lingering presence of the Lord from the night before, the service before. And I, I just love walking around the sanctuary. And, and I, I just start thanking the Lord. Lord, you were here before I got here this morning. So why do we invite God into our service? Why do we take the time? Lord, come on, show up. He was there before you got there. Maybe what we should do is get our own hearts in a place where we can receive what he's doing, where we can acknowledge his presence and say, you know, God, you're already here. We want to get worked up. We want the music to be going just right, that, that perfect song to usher us into the presence of God. The presence of God was already there. We just need to do what it takes to get in His presence, to, to get our minds focused on His presence, to acknowledge He was already here. He was good. 
He was kind. He was love. He was all those things. Can I tell you, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less. He already loves you with a perfect love. We try to earn the love of God. We try to do it just right. Sing just the right song. Play just the right notes. I don't think any of that matters to God. I I think we should do our best. Don't misunderstand me. I think we should do our best. But when it comes down to it, if I do it with the right motive, if I do it with the right heart, if I sing off key the whole song, but I do it with the right motive, I think he hears that just as much as the perfect singer. Because the motive of my heart is correct. So he's omnipresent. When we say God really moved Where did he move? Where did he go? He was over here and now he's over. No, he was over there before. Where did he move to? I understand what, that's our lingo, that's our Pentecostal talk. Oh, God really moved tonight. But I wonder if God ever gets a chuckle out of things we say. I wonder wonder if it ever makes him laugh. God really showed up. Well, where was he before? So, God's, another area of this um, omnipresence of God is he's, he's presently in the present. He's right now. He's on all points of the globe at the same time, but he's presently in the present. He's also presently in the future. He's making a way for me. he's making a way for me to walk. He's making a path for me to walk down. He's presently in the present and he's presently in the future. But where we struggle so many times is I wonder about my past. I wonder if that's really under the blood. I, I wonder if, you know, I know the things I did. So I wonder, I wonder if he took care of my past. Can I tell you he's presently in the past, subduing my failures, putting them under the blood, making sure they never come up and destroy my life right here if I don't allow it. He's a good God. Number seven, finally, he's Savior. We read this scripture to start with, yet I am the Lord thy God, Hosea 13 and 4, from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. So don't try to be the Savior. You're not the Savior. I'm not the Savior. He's the only Savior there is. If there's going to be any saving happening, it's because he did it. He's Savior. I'm glad about that. When I try to save people, it doesn't work out so well. He's Savior. That's That's exciting to me. So prayer is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's, It's not so much. Don't get me going on early morning prayer. Some people think that's the only time you can pray. You, you pray whenever works for you. Amen. Whenever God's moving upon your heart, go ahead and pray. Amen. Whenever God's talking to you, that's the right time. Yes. Now, I know there's a lot of stuff about early morning prayer. It's the only way to do it. I mean, it's the nautical hour. It's, it's where God meets and the angels come down and get their assignment. And I, I've heard all that. Um, what about three time zones over? where it's a different time. I'm just putting that out there for your consideration. Just, just think it through. I love it. Go, yes. Um, talking about that, um, how we have to be sensitive to when God is moving upon us. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard someone once say that if you can't tell me when and where you're praying, you're not praying. Um, so I guess my question is, um, what are your thoughts on then a structured time of prayer as well as so I, I love structure. I'm a person of structure. I have um, I have my full focus planner um, every, every morning. You know my my day is all planned out. Um, 
I, I journal every day in here. I, everything's detailed out when I go to the gym. Uh, after my prayer time, I, I spend some time reading, reading the scripture and, and getting in the word, and I'm hearing what God's saying, and I'm writing down stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> then I go to the gym, and then I come back to the office. I read for an hour. Um, before I jump into my day, and then I jump into sermon preparation typically because in the, in the early morning hours of the day, my mind is the sharpest. That's how it works for me. Um, so I know early morning is the best time for me to pray because I'm, uh, my mind is just working good at, at that time. I'm not so much a, a late, late <laughs> night person. Um, so for me, I mean, for me, I can... I can do it in the so I'm, I'm I'm not necessarily criticizing certain teaching I've heard, but I'm I'm saying you find when when it works for you. So again, I'm I'm structured. I'm very deep. It drives my wife crazy. She's just willy nilly all over the place. You ever see a Family Circle cartoon where the guy he's he's running all over? He's go go get your socks from the room, and he's down the street, and it it shows his path, you know, he's doing all, that's my wife, she's just like all over the place, woo, it's just a great day, and, and I'm like, let's get stuff done, let's get, let's get after it, Let, we got to do this, let's go, um, so for me, morning time works best, so I do have a structured time of prayer, but what if something happens uh, like the other day, I had to get up early and go to the airport to get here, and I couldn't do my normal time of prayer, what if that, well, I missed it this day. I can't hear from God today because I missed my structured time of prayer. Well, when I got to my hotel room and I started to call out to God, you know what? I felt him in the hotel room. He, he was there with me and he started to share some things and I got my journal out and I started to write some things down that he was sharing with me. So I don't have any problem with a structured prayer time. In fact, I think it's good for you to have a structured prayer time. What, what I'm saying is if God's, if you're a late night guy and you prefer to do it at night, um, but God's ringing your bell in the morning, don't roll over and go back to sleep. Get up and talk to God because God wants to tell you something specific or God's trying to share with you something. Remember, prayer is maintaining a right standing before the Lord, which results in a free flowing and mutual communication and facilitates the effective working of God through your daily living. That's all day long. That's when I'm on the job. That's when I'm, whatever I'm doing, I should be in right standing with God. Does that answer your question pretty good? Amos chapter 8, two verses of scripture. Amos chapter 8, verse number 11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I'm afraid we've gotten so much tradition, so much Pentecostalism, that we're falling into this trap in this day and age. It didn't say, this verse doesn't say, there's a famine in the preaching and teaching of the word of the Lord. But it said, there's going to be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. We better have our ears tuned in. We're, we're coming upon difficult days in the church. We're entering into the very beginning of it. Things are not getting any better. I don't say that to scare anybody. I, you should be rejoicing. This is getting ready to wrap up here. We're living in, a, in an awesome time to be involved in the kingdom of God. We're going to see some incredible things. We're, we're going to see things that our ancestors, those that have gone before us, didn't get to see. We're living in an incredible time. But can I tell you, those that are not grounded in the word of God, those who are not hearing, those who do not have ears to hear the word of God are going to possibly lose out because they're not hearing the words of the Lord. Acts 15 and 8 
says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Well, that can't be right because unless I tell him what's going on, he doesn't know. We've all lived that way. We've all prayed that way before with that mindset before. But God already knows everything he's going to do. And, and again, he's not up there saying, oh, I hope Travis prays today because unless he prays, I can't do what I want to do. No, he already knows what he's going to do, but he gives us opportunity to be involved with what he's doing, and I'm so glad that he does. So, let, let me just leave you with this little nugget before I conclude. It's, it, we've gone long enough. Um, Prayer is, is my standing before the Lord, my right standing before the Lord. That's the foundation of prayer. Can I tell you, you can pray for three hours every day. If you're not in right standing with God, you didn't accomplish anything. You might have thought you did and put a check mark next to you. And, well, I prayed for three hours today. Check. I, I read my Bible. I read through the bread reading program and I, I did my check. If you're not in right standing with God, you accomplish nothing. And then on the other hand, I can spend five minutes talking to the Lord and accomplish more if I'm in right standing with God because all day long he's going to be communicating to me. All day long he's going to be speaking to me. So let me just leave you this with this. What is intercessory prayer? You you. Dig into it yourself. A lot of people ask me when I talk about prayer, well, what about intercessory prayer when I intercede for someone and then it happens? If you weren't doing that, do you think God would withhold that good thing from that individual? Or do you think God just wants to involve you in what he's doing? Just, just the thought for your consideration. So what is intercessory prayer? My definition of intercessory prayer is this. Intercession is to give God a chance to tell you what he would prefer to do rather than what man or circumstances demand. We demand a whole lot of God. My Aunt Sue is sick. Lord, I want you to heal her right now today. Well, maybe God has another plan. Maybe through that sickness, the rest of Aunt Sue's family is going to come to know the Lord. I can remember visiting my Uncle Jim. Um, I really do have an Uncle Jim. I don't have an Aunt Sue. I remember visiting my Uncle Jim. He had cancer near the end of his life. He was, uh, grew up in a Pentecostal preacher's home. My grandfather that I talked about today, it was his son, um, grew up in a Pentecostal preacher's home backslid away from the Lord. I don't, I, actually, I don't know if he ever had the Holy Ghost or not, but he grew up in a Pentecostal preacher's home, went away from the Lord. For 40 years, he was away from God. There were years and years and years at a time where we didn't know if my Uncle Jim was alive or dead. He's been in prison. He's, you name it, he's done it and been involved with it. Destroyed his family had beautiful children and wife, des destroyed relationships. Um, Forty years after he went away from the Lord, he walked back and he was visiting my mom at our church in Waterbury. And I mentioned we have prayer every Saturday at 930. He came down for a visit, went to the house. Nobody was there. So he came over to the church. He walked in the back of the church and sat down on the back row while we were praying. And all of a sudden, I look back there, and there's my Uncle Jim with his hands in the air, tears streaming down his face, speaking in that heavenly language. And he became a minister in my grandfather's church that my grandfather started. 
And my grandfather got to see that before he passed away. And for several years, he was a minister there in that church after 40 years of being away from the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, he's got this adversarial relationship with all of his children, and he starts rebuilding that relationship with his two daughters. He, he uh, tries to mend things with, with my aunt that he was married to and, and mended uh, things there. There was no hope of ever reconciling that relationship, but, but they were speaking and on great terms, but his son would never speak to him. He was the oldest one. He'd, he's the one that saw the most. He's uh, diagnosed with cancer, and two weeks before he passed away, I went up to visit, drove up to Buffalo, New York, and uh, I sat down and I talked with him, and I said, Uncle Jim, and I felt all along like the Lord was not going to heal him, and so I didn't pester God saying, God, please heal him. I felt, I felt from the Lord that the Lord wasn't going to heal him, and, and I sat down next to him, and I said, Uncle Jim, would you be willing to give your life. I know, I know you're a man of faith. I know you believe God can heal you. I believe God can heal you. I know he can heal you. But would you be willing to give your life so that your son could come back to know the Lord Jesus? And he said, yes, Tom, I'd be willing to do that. Don't you know that very night, his son was Jim also. That very night, his son Jim came over to the house where he was staying with the hospital bed in the living room. He said, something happened to me. Something came over me. I know I don't have much time to make things right with you, but I had to come over. And I stood there and I watched my Uncle Jim ask forgiveness of his son. His son was in church that Sunday. My Uncle Jim baptized his, his home health aide, one of the nurses that came to, to, to the house that Sunday. And then a week from then, he was gone. I could have prayed, Lord, please heal my Uncle Jim. I'd have been praying out of the will of God because God had a plan for my Uncle Jim's life. Intercession is to give God a chance to tell you what he would prefer to do rather than what man or circumstances demand. Circumstances demand. Uh, uh, man demands, I want the healing right now because I know God can do it. But if he's not doing it, there must be a reason. He's a good God. He won't withhold any good thing from us. So as I wrap this up, I'm just asking you to maybe apply what you know about God to your prayer time. Don't spend so much time telling him what to do, but spend some time asking God, God, what are you up to today? What do you have for me today? What do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go today? And don't say, Brother Kilman, I didn't show up for class because God told me not to come to class today. He told me not to show up. <laughs> I, 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 I went to school. I can remember. I won't call his name. It's embarrassing. I could. But I went to school with a guy, Brother, Brother Dugas. Philip Dugas came into the dorm and my Dorm room was two, two doors away from his, and he was talking to this young man, and he said, said his name. He said, well, why weren't you in class again today? He said, I'm, I'm fighting demons. I'm fighting spirits. I wanted to get up. Brother Dugas, I wanted to get up, but they would not let me get out of bed. As God is my witness, those are the things he was saying. Those demons, they would not let me get out of bed. And he, he called his name again. I almost said it. He called his name again. He said, well, you just have to get up when the alarm goes off. You have to set the alarm if you want to get up out of bed. Thank you for your attention. I hope I did. Well, I do hope I messed your prayer life up a little bit because I wanted to get better. I wanted to be more effective. Thank you for your attention. Hey, this is Kevin, the producer of the IBC podcast. 
Thanks for joining us today. This episode is over, but we hope you'll join us next time. We've got some great content coming up soon. Two more sermons from Brother Dibble and the IBC Theology Conference, an interview with Sister Hodges, and much more. God bless. Thank you.